This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We are the test pilot. Why don't we take that idea? All the advice. See if all this stuff is actually what it is. Test that. Hey everybody, a quick disclaimer before we get into the show. We are four designers and not mental health experts. And if you have any questions or concerns about your own mental health, we recommend that you speak to a specialist instead of taking advice from your designers. Thanks and enjoy the show. In today's episode, we're going to be talking to Mitch Goldstein and Francisco Reyes Jr., also known as Nevermate. Nice. Yeah, and how did you guys uh, meet um, Francisco? Because Mitch Goldstein, he was one of my professors. Uh, I had him for, I think, two classes when I was coming through uh, RIT. And he still teaches there. How did you guys know Francisco? Um, so I actually went to a few agenda shows out in Long Beach. And he was out there when he had, like just started and was coming up. And I specifically remember him like giving me a bunch of free pins and stickers when nice. we stopped by his nice. booth. And then he also does a lot of pop-ups. So um, one of my friends and I, we ended up driving down to Long Beach to go check him out at one of his pop-ups at like a small little dive bar. And he's rather like established on um, on social media, I'm pretty sure, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he works with Shepard Ferry um, at his studio. So yeah, he's pretty well established. Do you think that having like a big social media following is... Uh, does that give you more clout? Do you think, or like, does it actually give you your your weight more weight with what you say, or is that kind of like a cause and effect, or do you think it's more like some people just pop off for no reason? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think if tides are starting to turn. I think like five years ago, I could easily said, "Yeah, absolutely, you've got this following, so you have a bigger platform, and so people care what you have to say." I think in recent years. I think that's kind of shifted a little bit to where it's like just because you have this following doesn't make what you say even more weighted. You're yeah. you're just another person like I am, just another opinion or whatever the case may be. Um, I think as designers, we tend to listen to those people a lot more because, you know, for the most part, some of those people are established and have years of experience um, on, on the rest of us that may may don't have that following on social media near as much. So I think we still listen to those people in some regard, but I don't think, you know, we take them to heart near as much. Not saying that's true about Francisco, oh. but mainly just posing the question about like, if people are doing, if people have a yeah. following, it usually means that like their work and what they say is ringing on some people's ears, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's more of the work, like, especially for social media. It's definitely yeah for designers. It's probably it's more than likely more of the work than uh, you know the wisdom that they may be sharing or something like that. However, there are some creatives on the internet where their content is that wisdom, and it's not so much like the logo or the poster design or 
the wireframe or whatever the yeah. case may be. That's kind of, that's kind of like what Mitch is. Yeah. He, I mean, he got popular. Sure. I think Rubai said that he, she had been following him for a while and he, it was, uh, because he's always kind of been, like been memeing on the, on the design community. The best design tweets ever. Like, honestly, <laughs> if you don't follow him on Twitter, do it. You will have your timeline blessed with his knowledge and just like all the great pep talks he gives. It's, it's amazing. Highly recommend. Yeah, so Michael, when did you when did you meet Mitch for the first Man, time? Man, I had him in uh, so freshman year. So that was back in two thousand and thirteen, and I I had him freshman year for a um, an After Effects class. And the reason why I always rang really true with him is he was one of the first professors that was very much in that like. I call it like the new age uh, teaching style where it's like we don't actually know what this project is supposed to be. And it's about learning in the process and not about as much the end result. Like school isn't about being result driven. It's about being learning driven. And he was the first teacher that I had that was really had that at his uh, core. So like he taught me um, After Effects. But he would he would do these things where he would uh, instruct on a tool in After Effects. Who knows? Maybe it's the um, the masking tool or the you know click and drag so that you can have like a an image float around the the video. And then he would give us a whole bundle of assets, very like memey stuff, you know, like uh, you know Luke, I am your your father, and then like a um, like a uh, a doge or something like that <laughs> and then say hey make something with this in the next hour using this tool and then we would and i think that i've always valued his opinion because he was so willing to like admit that he doesn't know what's really going on either and if you read his his tweets that's abundantly clear that he says it every other time that i have no idea what's going on and i actually love that he points that out because when we talk to Nevermade, and everybody else is going to hear this very soon he says that like it's it's really hard because you can never really know the trends. And at the end of the day, you shouldn't try and follow the trends. You should really just do your own thing. And it'll like that's what establishes your style as a designer, too. And I really like that Mitch kind of like put you guys in that place as students and made you realize like, hey, you don't really have to follow trends. We don't all know what's trending right now in the design community. Just do your own thing and make the best of it. Yeah. That- yeah, we had. I, I kind of have a similar background as, as Mike's talking about, like a lot of our professors at in, in Arkansas at, at UCA were, were very discovery driven. And so it's, it's like, Hey, we're going to, you're going to kind of find your lane throughout this project. Obviously like there is this end result and maybe you're shooting for something, but it's, it's 100% more about trying to kind of figure out what you want to do inside that project, which uh, obviously like it having an like a, a fine art background like that was our department you're gonna see that more often than maybe i don't know maybe it's a technical place but i could be wrong there i always really liked he was so willing to um lean into like again the happy discovery sort of thing so and he would pull that into his own his own life uh so he always made these things called photograms and what photograms were uh, it's hard to even explain without really having you look at them. But they were like in a dark room. He would go and he would put a uh, a bunch of objects on top of like a, a panel. And then he would expose the, f- the film in a dark room. And it would 
uh, make an image, and then he was using them. And sometimes he said like ninety percent of them would turn out bad, but only five percent of them would turn out interesting. And then like one out of a hundred was like something he would post on the internet. And I have always found that very um, understandable, especially with painting. Like sometimes I go and it's just like, no, nah, I don't post all my paintings. Sometimes they they stink, and I kind of learned that from him. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, design's all about trial and error, and I feel like it's also just a part of the creative process, too. Two guys coming up, uh, two uh, two men, and I guess last episode, so if you haven't listened to that one, go back, uh, we were we interviewed two women, but I think that we all are kind of floating down this river of, of life. I mean, I've personally noticed it's it's really hard for guys to feel comfortable when it comes to opening up, especially just as a girl that's like a tomboy and has a bunch of guy friends. Like it's it's usually very hard for my guy friends to talk about what it is they're going through. And I, I mean, I feel really bad for men sometimes because of the stigma that society puts on you guys where it's like you can't feel comfortable expressing your emotions and your vulnerabilities. And I think like that needs to be put to an end. Like we should all be able to talk about what we're going through openly. Kind of like I said earlier about the way, you know, you're talking about the whole clout thing. I think over the past, you know, few years, the tides have kind of turned and everything's shifted to where, whether it's therapy or being vulnerable or transparent, I think you see it now, now more than ever. No, I mean, you see it more often where, men especially are kind of ex- expressing those things because they were maybe suppressed for so many years. And so, you know, for, for me personally, I've always been an emotional person, whether it was when I was a kid and I was like always excited about things or I showed a lot of passion um, in, in certain, you know, areas of my life. But even now as more, you know, I'm, I'm in my late twenties, almost 30, you know, I've, the past, you know, year, two years, three years, maybe, um, I've been very open just about how I'm feeling about stuff, how, um, uh, you know, how things are affecting me, like side effects as far as emotional health or mental health or, you know, whatever the case may be. I think sometimes a lot of, a lot of the stigma is the therapy thing, kind of like Rubai was talking about just, oh, don't, you don't, you don't need to go therapy unless something's wrong. And, you know, it's, Sometimes it's preventative. Sometimes if you if you know um, you're going to be experiencing something later on, it's like I want to do whatever I can now to prevent it. Now in the South, I think there was kind of a, a bigger stigma because you know, as as men in the South, leaders of the home, you're supposed to be strong for your family. If everybody's if everybody's dealing with something, you're supposed to be kind of like that cornerstone, that rock that that kind of holds everything together. And like, to an extent, I do uh, believe that, but it's, I don't think that you should have to, uh, being vulnerable or transparent is a weak thing at all. I told him, yeah, I was, I was just, I was just thinking, um, how for guys, like at least some of my friends and stuff, we can talk about the gym for hours. Like we can talk about our physical health. I'm doing this. I'm eating this. I'm doing this. I'm benching this. You know, I'm going this many times, you know, it's like, it's so easy. And it's like, it's almost natural for us to talk about like, or if like one of your friends isn't going to the gym, you might make him like feel bad, like, Hey, come on, bro, let's go together, whatever. But then like, that's your physical health. Like that's just purely your physical health. It also affects your mental health and whatever. But whenever it comes to like 
talking about anxiety or something it's like no or or like some guys will be like no i don't have any problems with that like they'll just say like i don't i don't go through that you know which is or not even not even uh anxiety but like also just like a tough thing so like one of my friends uh you know lost lost someone that they loved and like the extent of the conversation that we could have like just as awkward men was like hey man sorry for your loss oh thanks dude it's like man. you good yeah i'm good and then it's like that's it that's it yeah isn't that freaking weird I, that is such like yeah. a strange thing i don't know how you guys do it honestly like that's a weird one it's wild to me i just like the fact that you can't even do it like girls can do like girl talk and like i feel like guys need to do that but they don't and i, I, I just feel bad for you guys because you don't we talk about sports i mean that's the guy talk but i mean at the end of the day i feel like if your best friend is a fellow guy, like you should be able to talk to your best friend about what you're going through. And like, because of all these stigmas and just like making it seem like a guy's weak because he's talking about what he's going through. I think that's, that's terrible. You shouldn't have to go through that. Um, I mean, personally for me, I just know that I can probably comfortably go up to anyone and like start off a conversation. If we hit that really deep point, we can just go into it and, it'd probably be easier for me to talk about it and be less likely to be judged about it, about talking so openly. Whereas just the way that society is now, most guys I personally don't think have that opportunity as often. And there's judgment that follows it rather than it being so open, you know, it's, it's also just, just less common. I mean, I, I agree. Maybe, um, you know, Steven has like a, the ability to open up with people and maybe that's that's definitely something that i've always uh struggled struggled with as far as for myself and i do think that it's just much harder to find the right situation or the right setting where it, it, it works just because a lot of guys haven't come around with the whole idea that it's okay you know to to feel down sometimes it's just i think that there's a constant stress by a lot of people to like not be a you know a Debbie Downer for the group and be the guy that's like man dude I've been so stressed lately because of this reason no one wants like I mean, most guys don't want to hear that there's also just and the factor that if there is a guy that's suffering with like a mental health disorder the chances of him speaking up and mentioning it to you I guarantee you are like a lot less likely than a woman that would probably be more open about it um, just because she'll probably have more grace when it comes to like receive more grace versus a guy I'm pretty sure because of the way society is, he's probably more hesitant about sharing that because of all the stigma that's out there and all the pressure that guys have to go through. So one thing that's might be worth mentioning. So we've talked about how there's a, um, a difficulty for men to um, kind of ex- express these things and kind of seek help amongst their peer group as easily. Um, I think, Rubai, you could probably share about, I feel like there are outside stressors that a lot of men don't feel, um, for example, through social media, uh, that women are probably feeling a lot more, you know, uh, palpably. Social media is really hard when it comes to just like the factor of like likes and stuff and posting pictures of yourself and as a woman, it's really hard because you can't help but compare yourself. But at the end of the day, people use filters. Photo editing is a thing. People use face tuning. Like, it's it's out there. And I think the one thing women really should remember is, like, 
don't compare yourself to what you see on a screen and you also get to choose what you put on your Instagram feed. A person may look happy on social media, but they might be going through hell and they're just putting up a happy front for the rest of the world. So I I think, I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like it's toxic and it's just, it's so bad for all of us. Like it's, it's so hard. We're human. You can't help but compare yourself to others too. You tie your self-worth to um, like social media stuff. And then what happens is when you have something that's really good and it's just an algorithm, you know, sometimes like the app will just put your work in in front of way more people than it usually does. And you'll get more likes and then like you'll post the same thing a week later and you won't get as many likes and you'll be like, I'm a bad artist. Like, why can't I do this? You know, Um, so it's like I feel like even like big artists, you know. Like, uh, I think Francisco, even he mentioned it in this thing where it's like how the algorithm and like how because he has so many followers. Right. So it's like how how easy would it be for him to fall into that trap? You know, because he has he's had problems with his mental health that he shared and it would be um, where you can fall into something like that. Because if you're so big and you get tens and thousands of likes and followers and one day you don't and your algorithm seems to fall off. Like, how easy would it be for him to tie his self-worth to that, you know? And I've seen that so many times with these big accounts where they talk about the fact that, oh, no one is seeing my post anymore. They'll be like, can you comment if you're seeing this post? Um, I'm not getting any more likes, you know? So it's it's like, oh, like, people are going through it because of, because of like, the algorithm and because of how it's affecting their mental health because they're tying their self-worth or who they are as people to these likes and followers. Yeah. Hey, should we jump into that interview? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, as a warning, we're going to be talking about some very serious topics in this next interview, including suicide and self-harm. So please either skip forward or continue at your own discretion. Thanks and enjoy. Hey, guys, welcome back to the (laughs) Test Pilots. It's Rubai here with my co-host, Stephen, to talk about mental health with the well-known Francisco Reyes, otherwise known as Nevermade. Um, before we dive into it, Francisco, why don't you just give us a brief intro and on your background and whatnot? What's up, everybody? My name is Francisco Reyes Jr. I'm a graphic designer. I have a, a little side thing going on that's called Nevermade, which is also sort of my design alias. I've been doing graphic design for professionally I've been doing it for about 10 years but I've been dabbling for about 20 so I have a pretty cool like day job and and uh, I get to do like my own thing on the side which is really fun sweet to do Uh, yeah Well, we're so we're so happy that you could do this with us, man, and we're we're kind of excited to talk a little bit about something completely different than just normal your design conversation. And so, with with our test spots, we're doing like kind of everybody talked about a series just based on mental health, and and we you know what's your kind of like background with you know mental health in general, or just you know if you want to spitball of like how you've approached mental health in the past or even previously, um, how it's kind oh, of yeah, a- affected sure. your, your life, so to speak. Um, yeah. Mental health is like, but uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Like I know there's, I've done other podcasts where I get to talk about like 
my background and all this stuff. And when uh, uh, Rubai hit me up, I was like, yeah, I'm down as long as I'm not going to do the same interview yeah. over and over again, you know. Uh, and when she told me it was just based that it was based on mental health, I was like, oh, I'm super down because, you know, I'm a big advocate for for mental health because I deal with my own issues and I think people uh, need to know that they're not alone with whatever they're going through, you know, and that whatever they're feeling isn't, you know, their own problem, like that everybody else kind of goes through the same thing. But, uh, yeah, I was uh, medically diagnosed with depression and uh, what's that disorder that, that dudes from war come come, come back oh, to? PTSD. Uh, PTSD. Post-traumatic PTSD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was medically diagnosed with – uh, those two about, I would say about like six years ago. Um, but I've always dealt with like anxiety and, uh, and I've dealt with anxiety since like I had my first anxiety attack, like my first real panic attack, like in, I would say like 2006 or 2005. And, um, and then after that, like it was like, they they it, it started happening like over and over like it started happening more frequently and um you know it really hindered me from doing a lot of things i was just like because i would catastrophize things like in my head like if i go somewhere i'm like oh man i don't know if i want to go to that because i know mm. i'll probably have like a panic attack and i'll freak out and I don't know where to, like, I want to run away, basically. It was, like, that feeling that I had. Um, so that happened in, like, 2006. It was, like, my first real panic attack. And then after that, it kind of instilled, like, a fear in me of having panic attacks. So, like, my panic attacks gave me more panic attacks. You know, like, oh, wow. the anxiety oh, yeah. of having a panic attack gave me panic attacks, you know, like, you know, there was, there was never anything like super triggering that would, that would make it happen, but it did like, but, but it was like, I would get anxiety about having a panic attack. So I would kind of just, you know, just avoid doing things that I knew that could, um, bring forth some sort of reaction, you know? So, wow. uh, yeah, so then around like uh, 2000, like around 2012, like I had like it got bad. Like I started to have like really dark thoughts. Like I think that's where the depression like really like set in. And, you know, but I was just like and I think this is a big problem with what people go through. It's just like I had I had that same mentality at the time where I was just, like, having, like, these crazy, like, suicidal thoughts and stuff. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I shouldn't be having these thoughts. I have I have a great job. I have a great life. Like, what the hell is going on? Like, no. Like, you know, and so then I went in, and then I was dating, uh, at that at that point in time, I was dating uh, my wife. My, she was my girlfriend at the time, but now she's my wife. 
And uh, she's always dealt with uh, like OCD and anxiety. Like she's always had it. Um, and so when it came to me, like I was just like, I would just internalize it all. Like I would just keep it all inside. It was like, this is my problem. Somebody else's problem. I'm not going to bring anybody in on this, you know. And then um, she had moved in with me around that time. And, uh, yeah, I was just, I don't even know why. And it scared me that I was having these thoughts, you know. It was just like, I was like, I'm going to kill myself, like, point blank, you know. I was like, I was afraid to, like, I just, that's how I was feeling. So I finally, I told her, I was like, I... I talked to her and I opened up to her and I was just like, I'm having all these weird thoughts, you know, like she was like, you should go see a doctor. And I was like, I was like, nah, fuck that. Like, you know, that's for like crazy people, you know, I was like, I'm not going to go see a, a psychologist or whatever. And so she was like, it'll help. Like, she was like, I, I have a therapist, like go see him, go find one and go talk. And I was like, all right. So I finally did, and this is, like, at the peak of, like, I went in, and I, at first I saw a psychologist, and a psychologist isn't, like, a doctor, right? Like, I, did, I was confused psychiatrist and psychologist, but um, I went and saw a psychologist, I think that's what it was, and uh, she was just teaching me, like, breathing exercises and how to, like, kind of control my anxiety. I was like, no. I need a lot more than that at this point. Like, I'm not, like, at, I'm way past that, you know? So I went and saw, I found a, a psychiatrist, and uh, and she, and I explained to her, like, what, what I had been through and, like, the anxieties that I had and all these things. Uh, you know, I had a, before I met my wife, I had a girlfriend, and this is, a story that, you know, nobody's ever really heard, uh, except for my close friends and family. But I had a girlfriend who was in a car accident and she ended up being paralyzed from the waist down. And, uh, and, and I had to like, pretty much like be her caretaker, like for, for a year. Yeah. We lit like she, 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 she had to move back home to her mom's house, but I was just like, I'm your boyfriend. I'll be here for you, like for whatever you need. So I best I basically like lived with her at her parents' house for a whole year, and uh, and I didn't realize how big of an impact her accident had on me, also, because um, that's where the PTSD came from. Where it was just like, like I still have it to this day, where like I'm terrified of like car accidents. So if I'm driving, like, I get this crazy, like, like, I'm just going to turn the wheel and see what happens. Like, you know, like I have this, just this urge. Yeah. And it scares the living crap (laughs) out of me. So, um, and I could do it when I'm on my own. Like if I, if I have those thoughts, like I'm like, okay, if I hurt anybody, like, it'll be me, you know, but if I have passengers in the car, like it gets worse because then I start to really like catastrophize things like, oh, my God, like these people's lives are in my hands. Everybody on the road's lives in my hands. And I'm just I'm having this urge to just like yank the wheel and just wow. like want to just see what happens, you yeah. know. 
So I was telling I was telling my my therapist all this, and she was just like, "Wow." She's like, "Yeah, you have." She's like, she diagnosed me with PTSD because of that, and um, you know, clinical depression and generalized anxiety. So now I take uh, I take medication every day. I take uh, an antidepressant. I, I'm on Lexapro, um, you know. But the the crazy thing is just like I had that crazy like kind of like macho like mentality where I was just like PTSDs for fools that were in war like why the fuck am I like tripping like yeah I was just like nah like that's for like people that have been through real trauma and this and that and my wife is just like dude like that's trauma like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how drastic it is or how you know how undrastic it is if it it affects your brain and it affects you that's your trauma, you know, and people, Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a big thing that people don't really un, like kind of lose sight of that. Like trauma isn't like a one size fit all sort of thing. Like we all, we're all, we're all traumatized. We all experience trauma in different ways and we internalize it and we kind of deal with it in different ways. So, so yeah, long story short, <laughs> like, you know, I had always dealt with like anxiety, but then I was clinically diagnosed with with uh ptsd and depression and generalized anxiety disorder and so now i take uh antidepressants you know and at first i was like really afraid to kind of take them because i was just like i don't really want to depend on on these pills or whatever but dude it was like night and days after like after they kicked in i was just like whoa like i feel normal again you know like It's crazy. So it's there's there's people that have like, you know, a stigma against like big pharma and medication and stuff. But that that shit legit like saved my life. You know, it helps. It takes the edge off, you know. Yeah, I feel like uh, people need to try to normalize getting help when it comes to these issues. And it's not something that should be so looked down upon or shamed because everybody goes Mm -hmm. through it in their own way. And like, just the fact that you're being mm-hmm. so willing to be open about this. I, I know that there's so many people out there who can absolutely relate and just need to know that it is okay to ask for help or go seek help. And yeah, yeah. no, it is. And I was one of those people that was like, nah, like I'm, I'm straight. Like I, I'm not going to go out and like put myself out like that or whatever. Yeah. But after I did, I was just like, dude, like, and so now like, you know, like I'll create like, you know, art that's based around mental health and stuff. And just like, cause like you never know, like somebody might be on the edge and they see a post or just like, Oh shit. Like, okay. Like, you know, like my buddy's in a band called the fever three, three, three. And, uh, he has a lyric. He says, like, you're not the only one that feels like the only one, like, you know, I'm like, with the we're song. all feeling yeah, like, we're all feeling the same thing, you know? It's just, like, like just, it's okay to ask for help. And I think, like you said, it needs to be normalized because it's it sucks. It's scary. And I think as, especially as creatives, I think that I have a theory about creatives and their link to anxiety and depression. Mm is that um, 
we have wild imaginations, right? Like we're just like, we have these creative ideas all the time, right? And a lot of times it's like, oh yeah, it's like uh, for your art. But we could get just as creative with a bad thought. Absolutely. You know, and that bad thought, you just start to like, like I said earlier, you start to catastrophize things. You know, you just start. And that's my biggest thing is just like, I have a wild imagination. So like, um, you know, like when I was at the peak of that point, uh, I live here, I live in LA and Long Beach. uh, And there was an earthquake and I was just like, and I lived like literally like half a mile away from the beach at the time. And so I was just like, oh man, there's going to be a freaking tidal wave and all this is going to happen and blah, blah, blah. Like, should I start preparing? Like, should I start doing this? Should I start doing that? And then you just start to fuck, you go into this like. Snowball effect. Uh, yeah. Snowball effect of just like driving yourself nuts. And it's just like, it's, it's not real. Mm-hmm. But in your head, it is, yeah. you know, like you just start to like really like trip out on on these things. So my theory is that uh, creatives, we are so like in our heads all the time, especially like because we're creative and we're like trying to like just like we're just like idea people like, ooh, like that would be a fun idea or like whatever. But then when that when that bad seed gets in there, you're just like, it just grows. Oh, damn. And then that, that same energy goes to that bad, that bad idea, you know? And it's even like, like Kanye West had said in some interview, like I was medicated and I had to get off because like, he said something along the lines that was like, like my, my, craziness or whatever is my superpower Mm -hmm. you know know? and it's true it's just like we have this crazy ability to like make the world like visually a beautiful place you Mm -hmm. know and but we also have the ability to like really like to ourselves just be very self-deprecating and be like you suck you're not good enough you're not this you're not that you know, and it's just like this vicious cycle that you're fighting in your head that you're just like trying really hard to like, you know, do your thing. But then, like I said, that when that seed gets in there, it's just like, dang, like. Thank you for, you know, sharing those stories, you know, but I, I, it takes it takes a very vulnerable person to do that and open up, especially something that's going to mm-hmm. be pretty public. So I know me and Rabai are yeah, super nah. appreciative of it and. Um, but I think we want to get into somebody some... got a problem with it. They got to come up to me and they're going to tell me that I'm a little bitch or something. And be like, it, What's yeah, up, I bro? think I did, it's, it's, <laughs> it's weird. Cause like, you know, some of the things that you were describing, it was like, Oh no, I ain't got no problem. That's other people's issues. Like I've definitely yeah. been there and I, I, I have people in my <laughs> life who still, you know, kind of think that way. And, um, you, you act, it's, it's very much a thing where, well, if it's not really affecting me, then I shouldn't have to worry about it or, or whatever. That's, it's not my, you know, until, until yeah. you're in the mix, until you're in the middle of that storm and you're like, well, I don't know what to do. And I didn't think I'd ever have this thing that's in the back of my brain, you know, whatever. And so mm-hmm. it's, that's really insightful for you to say some of those things. Kind of going off of that, um, just with the factor of anxiety, because I also suffer from it our field involves us just like kind of doing things a lot on your own. So when you're working on something on the computer, you're more likely to get lost in your thoughts. And 
I don't know if it happens to you, but like you kind of just, it's, it starts at one point and it can just keep on going. And then you just kind of go down the rabbit hole and you just overanalyze. And like you said, the seed just kind of like keeps growing and that's really hard. And I mean, it's also just like the pressure with social media and stuff. I feel like for younger designers that starts to impact their mentality with their creativity. And there's a lot of pressure there. Um, Have you yourself ever felt that? And like, how did you deal with that? Um, Yeah. The thing like with social media is like, that's another, (laughs) that's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) That's a whole nother. Yeah. That's another issue. It's like, I started Instagram and, 2010 and i was and i've grown my following organically Mm -hmm. like since then so i'm at like 30k followers but at this point it doesn't even fucking matter how many followers you have because of the fucking algorithm we were just talking about that Um, we were yeah (laughs) yeah it it really doesn't matter like you know the thing that matters most to me is like the people that actually like care and that like turn on notifications and like they see like i i could see it i see all the same people liking my stuff and i'm just like and you know at first i was like i would complain like fuck this algorithm or whatever but it was just like you know what like it is what it is i think i've i've been on the platform long enough that i've grown my following to a point where like are you guys familiar with bobby hundred yes very familiar mm-hmm. Okay, so in his book, uh, this is on a T-shirt. He says, "If you if you garner like a thousand, um, if you gain a thousand like loyal customers, that thousand they'll follow you with whatever mm-hmm. you do, right? And that's all you need. Like, so for me, it's just like I have thirty thousand followers, and then I have like probably like twenty. 25 to 50 people that are like constant like buyers of my that's stuff. awesome and those are the people that i care about yeah. you know like nobody else is getting to see my stuff but these are the people that care as soon as i drop something they're they're buying it and i see it on my shopify and just like you know doing orders i'm like uh yep i recognize that name i recognize that name and it's just and it tells you this is their 11th order you know and I've sent people like that. I'm like, I'll send them like a little extra something. I'm just like, yo, like, thanks for the support. Like, I really appreciate it. Um, But for the young designers, they're so caught up in like design trends just to get likes, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't think they're, they're being their true authentic selves on, on social media. And for me, like my biggest thing is being, myself 100% on there like all the time like you know I fuck around I try to be funny and I do this or I do that and even sometimes like people like just because like I joke around they think they could joke with me I'm like actually like you're not my home you <laughs> yeah like, you can't <laughs> draw the line there I'm like hey like you know like some people try to like like uh this one time I posted something and there was like you know in stories you can respond uh, uh it was, it was, uh, I had a typo or yeah. whatever. And some dude was like, it's actually blah, blah, blah. And I replied, I was like, oh, I bet that felt really good for you to like correct me. Right. He was like, I'm actually a really big fan. I'm just like, 
okay. That was unnecessary, like, though. Yeah. Sorry, like, I was like, it's a story. I can't correct yeah. it. Like, he was just like, oh, my bad. He's like, well, I just want to let you know that I'm a big fan. I think people just want attention also. And when they get it, they're just like, oh, shit. He replied, uh, what do I do? So what are what are some, um, I don't know, I kind of want to get back to, like, some the mental health aspects of it of, like, you know, you, you telling us your story just about, like, your panic attacks and, like, PTSD and, mm-hmm. and being kind of diagnosed with some of those things. Are there maybe even types of projects that you've done that you need to steer away from now that kind of causes those things? And then also, you know, what, what are, what are you doing to maybe prevent those things from happening like daily or weekly? Like, are there practices that you do every day to kind of just maybe stay level headed or, or kind of not go down those like episodes, I guess. Yeah. So for me, I have, I usually have these like, weird uh i always call them my like design slumps Mm -hmm. you know where i'll get into like right now i'm barely getting out of a design slump that i was in since october you know so i didn't touch my computer like for my for personal work i didn't touch my computer up until like two to three weeks two weeks ago where i was just like you know, I just, I get, yeah. like I get, cause I work full time, you know, I work at student number one, which is Shepard Ferry's uh, design agency and I'm hit and I'm his design assistant and I've been working at home for a, a year straight. Wow. Um, and so that's also been a big challenge on my mental health. Like I'm just like, I'm going like stir crazy, you know, like I've, don't go anywhere. I like, I see my dog and my wife and that's pretty much it. Like, you know, so it's really affected my moods a lot, not so much my mental health. Um, but I've had, you know, I've had 20, 2020 was a a shitty year for me. (laughs) Um, and for everybody, but you know, I had to go through some like really like, some some like deep shit Um, how did you get yourself out of that because i know like i mean personally as a designer and i'm sure there's tons of other designers out there where it's like because you can't go out and embrace the world and feel inspired by everything the world has to offer it affects your creativity Mm -hmm. and like how did you get past that as a designer during covid i'm telling you i it's like october november december january february like that's almost five, five months of not doing anything like creative you know and then then i start to like we're talking about earlier about social media it's just like if you well if you don't post then the less people less people are going to see like your feed um but uh i think the best thing to do when you have that sort of like design block is just to just stay away like the break is okay yeah, the break is 110% mm-hmm. okay. Like, do not get caught up in just, like, posting for the sake yeah. of posting, you know? It's just, um, you know, even if it's got to be, like, a throwback that from, like, two years ago that your new followers, that's fine. You could do that. Um, but it's just, it's okay to just not 
fucking be active on that shit because the pressure of that adds to to your anxieties and your and you know your depressions and stuff but um well i think we can get ready to start wrapping this up so i i just wanted to say like thank you for for being so open and willing to like share such stories that are so vulnerable and most designers like they don't talk about this stuff and Mm -hmm. the transparency like personally to me just being able to talk to you about this it means the world to me and i can assure you it's going to mean so much to our listeners as well I hope yeah, so. Definitely. That's why. That's why I was down. Yeah, I'm so if, grateful for if it. If there's, if if people want to find you, you know, your website, buy your merch. Where should they go to? Yeah, you know. it's nevermade.com and at nevermade on Instagram. I don't. I mean, I have a Facebook, but I don't really have it. <laughs> I don't have a Twitter, but I do have an OnlyFans. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> check out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh man, Francisco, like like your bias. Hey, Rubai, I see your. No. Oh, sorry, Rubai, I see your. Yeah, gotta brand. love Josh, right? Yep. <laughs> We're honored. very, very honored that you would, you know, jump on a call and and do this with us, man. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. If you guys have, everyone dreams about having a a big social media following. I guess it it, it might be one of those situations like a dog chasing his tail. Like, what's going to happen when you actually catch it? And what would? How do you mm. think your work or your life or anything in general would change if you added, I don't know, we'll just say two more zeros onto your Instagram following total. What would happen? Um um like I used two, to think about this. Two more question, zeros? Right? I used to, I used to think about this all the time because when I first started social media I was just doing it for like just fun. Like I literally didn't think anyone would follow me. And then yeah. people would like, they started following me. They started seeing my art. And then like people I knew started following me. And then um, I got obsessed with it. I would like track my likes, my followers. And then um, at some point, maybe like in the last two years or so, where I actually like stopped caring. I was like, like, I, I don't care. You know, like um, the response I get are usually the same. Um, I only care if it's like it's going to lead to an opportunity, if it's going to lead to a job or something. But even then, I realized if I just kept posting consistently and not thinking about the other stuff, like the like people would see it eventually. And that's what happens the most is when someone new will find my page, they'll go and they'll be like, oh, you have so much work or something. Or I love your work. You know, that'll be like their response. They'll be like, oh, do you want to work on a project together? And then, you know, that goes down the thing. But say you have 100,000 followers because you have a, like over 1,000. So I guess you would have 200,000 followers. So... How would that change your life? Do you think it would like make you more willing to post more work? Yeah, like like this year, I mean, remember at the beginning of the year, like I wanted to like that yeah. was my goal to post every single day. And then obviously, like we started moving and work out busy. And like I haven't posted in like two, three months, you know, which is weird for there me. Um, but like if if all of these things didn't happen and I was posting like I usually post, um, like, I wouldn't mind that. I don't mind doing that at all because it just pushes me to keep creating. Like, that's my, like, I just like creating. I just like making stuff for myself, you know, fun stuff, whatever, quick projects. And I just like sharing it. Um, so if I, I personally want to think that even if I had 20,000 followers or 100,000 followers, if I had 200 followers, like, I would be doing the same thing. But obviously, like, that's easier said than done. Um, and because I see like some of sure. the designers that we know personally who have a big following, like the way they, 
they talk on social media is, is kind of different from who they are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they've got they, the radio voice. Yeah. Well, it's also Cause, just Because like, they're always, like, they're always, because if they realize they have a big following and they're always trying to sell something or they're always trying to push something, which is a smart way to use your social media. You know, if you're going to be on there, might as well get a couple of bucks. But, um, so I feel like I might, just naturally, anyone would be like that. You know, like, once you hit those big numbers, you start of kind of having that radio voice. But, I don't know. I feel like I I enjoy posting, so I would just keep posting. I feel like having such a big following, though, requires so much upkeep. Because, I mean, Nevermain touched on it, too, where he mentioned that, like, hey, I may have this big following, but the algorithm is against you. And, if like, sometimes you're just in a creative rut and you can't produce stuff to post online. And that is okay. You shouldn't feel pressured to. But in order to keep up with this algorithm and all these numbers and not lose that following... You have to keep up with it. So at the same time, yes, your numbers may be increasing or you're keeping that high number. But at the same time, you're sacrificing time, your mental health, all to try and keep up with a silly algorithm. So I personally, like, as much as I may say I don't Mm -hmm. want it, I mean, deep down, I probably do want the big following. But at the same time, is it worth it when you're having to make all these other sacrifices? I think I I I would have a much like a, an over what is it overinflated idea of my level of importance in the world and i think that that is I don't, I don't think it's even possible to like get to that point without thinking that like somehow that's a reflection of how smart you are even if it's because of your work and some algorithm that no one actually understands how it works i think that those people who become fa- famous I, there's got to be like a psychological study on this that's like you know, you just assume that it's because you deserved it because you're so friggin' smart. I'm going to counter that, though, because... No? Well, think of it this way. There have been times where you can go to museum exhibits and there's a trash can, but somebody thinks it's a piece of art, but it's actually a trash can. Yeah. I, think of the art world that way. I feel like that's basically how society runs when it comes with social media, too. Somebody can post the most stupid thing, but if the right person thinks it's amazing they'll blow up too. So you can do that, but I also feel like a lot of it has to do with luck and chance too, and then consistency follows, if that makes sense. I think people conflate luck with skill though, and like act like like the guy who put the trash can there and people thought it was like this groundbreaking piece of art or some But I don't uh, think contemporary... the person intentionally did that though. It was just chance. Like the viewer was like, oh, yeah. hey, wait, oh, this is art. No, it was actually just, it meant, it was literally just a trash can in the art gallery. Like, that's it. But I, I bet someone who, like the janitor who put that there, probably, if that happens twice in a row, will say, that probably person's probably like, I am really good at putting these trash cans there. I probably should start con- uh, commentating on whether the designer should learn how to code. And then it's like, suddenly we have a, an influencer on our hands. The art world's wild, man. No, I just think that a lot of people, um, they start to get caught up in, in, their, in their following. And I've always just been like... I, I've never had a large following before. This this podcast that we're on, we're hijacking DGDCs. I mean, it's more successful in one go than it, I have been in all of my other events put together. Uh, do you think that makes like what we say any any more like ring any more true? Because in the end, the words are the same whether I say it on a large platform or a small platform. I mean, I, I have a story to share. Before, like, sure. as soon as I graduated college, throughout college, I worked so hard in like building a following. The day before an interview, 
my Instagram account got hacked and deleted. It was, I was just like, crap, this following I'd been working on for like years is all gone. And I actually cried about it. Like the fact that I cried over that, it was just like, wait, you, you like, it felt like I lost a piece of me, but at the same time, it kind of felt relieved. So I'm just like, we put so much value into something that is virtual, but it's like eventually Instagram is going to phase out. Then what are you going to do? It's going to be like how Facebook was back when we were kids. We all cared about how many likes we got on our Facebook pictures and stuff. Now I guarantee you people our age aren't caring about how many likes they're getting on their Facebook pictures. They're caring more about their Instagram likes and TikTok. I feel like it's going to just phase out if that makes sense. Do you think you should be exposed to this kind of stuff? What age? Oh, man. This oh, is, this is going to go topic. so deep. What age should you be allowed to start using social media? Because this stuff is everybody. There's a gazillion studies that this shit is poisonous to our to our, our brains. And I got so on like, it. Like, like, like if, there, if the app put a, like an so actual like age Facebook. limit. Like yeah. So Facebook did. Kind of like a. Like 35 yeah. or something. Because, well, if you were initially <laughs> when Facebook started, in order to even have an account, you had to have a college email address. And then once they open yeah, it up to everyone, that's when I think it really got toxic for kids and whatnot. I got my Facebook in eighth grade. I got mine and in tenth I, grade. In tenth yeah, grade? I what about you late. guys? Facebook? Um, like sixth grade? Oh, seven. 2007. 2007? How old were you then? I was a freshman in college, in high school. Gotcha. You're 14. But it's uh, like... I can't, I can't remember. Like, think about like... Uh, it's it's developed even more like for example in stories and uh the fact that you could like imagine like the poison in facebook if you were to like go and suddenly you see on someone's instagram story or uh best friends list or or snapchat or something like that and then suddenly you see like a bunch of your friends are hanging out and you didn't get invited and it's like there's so many more examples of that where that could happen my gosh that would absolutely just gut some people and i'm sure like I bet you someone in some high school popped off for some reason on TikTok has a hundred thousand followers, and every the next closest person in high school probably has only one thousand followers. Does that person with a hundred thousand followers feel like they have clout and that they're suddenly better? It's it's basically like the popular kids in high school just virtually, and the thing is, you're competing with the entire world, not just the people that you're going to school. It's a with. great point. So, oh, God. It, it's insane. I don't envy those kids. I, I mean, yeah. honestly, I'm so glad that we grew up at the time that we did when it just started, because now I feel like kids that are well, growing up with it early on have so much more pressure. It's insane. Well, that's also kind of like what about in in college though? I remember it in college, and you talked about growing your following. I remember in college. Freaking, uh, there was like two girls in my year, and one had like um, a whole series of uh, of pieces blow up, and suddenly uh, she was like, people were like, holy crap, like she's like the number one student, and it was because she had more following, and it was like, wow, that's uh, I don't know, I don't know if that makes her work any better than mine, or if I should even care. It's like, what does that matter if her work is even better than mine, and I suddenly care? It's like, you know what? It's not going to get me anything. You bringing that up actually pulls up, brings up a good point to me, like too, because when I had lost my Instagram account before my interview, they had asked to see it, like my Instagram, and I'm like, at that yeah. point, like, what are you supposed to do? I literally had to tell them, and I mean, it probably sounded like a BS story. Okay, well, I mean, when I had to tell that story at the interview, it probably sounded like a BS excuse, but it genuinely happened. And, like, the fact that 
when you're applying for jobs, sometimes you they ask for your handles and whatnot. And like they want your Twitter, they want your Instagram, all of that. And the fact that jobs are kind of putting value on your social media platforms now on whether or not you can be a qualified candidate, I think that's rough. And it's, it's honestly kind of unfair because what if you choose to mentally not want to do that for the sake of your own mental health? I'd, I'd argue that it's, it's not so much for the numbers thing. It's more for how you're presenting yourself. But if you don't um, have social it, media it, presence, sometimes that can opt you yeah, out. And I think that's I not fair. If I was an employer and I was hiring somebody and they had a Twitter account, I'm probably going on their Twitter or Facebook or Instagram just to see how they kind of represent or like showcase their life. Because as soon as I hire them, they become a representation of the company that I'm running. And so I think asking for social media, maybe not so much in the design space, but for other areas, that's more of a reason. I I I still think that's unfair, though, because I personally have friends who choose not to be on social media. They have no accounts on any platform, and that has costed them job opportunities. And I think man interesting i would never find that as a negative i I think it's a great quality to have because you don't worry about that stress like pressure to try and like show yourself to the world as much because you're just content with just keeping it all to yourself you know yeah before i met mitch in real life which we'll get to his interview in just a second but before i met him uh, he was the person I think I met him when he had uh, like 37,000 followers. And to me, that was like meeting a celebrity. He was literally the guy who I had the who had the most followers who had ever met in real life. And I remember rec- uh, like a little bit after that, after I graduated, I talked with um, Amber Vittoria, who uh, she's worked with Gucci and a bu- bunch of other ones. She had she came on my podcast and she had just popped off and got 20,000 followers on Instagram. I remember I was like, that is so crazy. How did you manage that? I remember she was like, nah, it just happened. Yeah, it's great. But it's like, yeah, it just happened. I remember I was like, don't you see how incredible this thing that you've created is? And she was like, I think she must have had like the healthier view of it where she was like, no, my work's always been good. It's just now that the numbers are reflecting. <laughs> See, I think that's what more of us uh, need to hear. That is what we need to hear. Yeah. But back to what Ruba, back to what Rubai was saying about the, or whoever was saying about the like luck and chance thing. I mean, I had friends. I di- I didn't get on Instagram for until maybe like close to junior year of college, and so like the pressures in college didn't really affect a lot of people. Um, that I was around because it was, we were, you know, later into it. But like I had, I knew people at my university that I was friends with who got featured one time on Instagram or uh, by another uh, profile that had a lot of followers. And then they, they jumped like their followers and everything and everything jumped up. And it's like, like you're saying, Mike, I don't think that person's photography was any better than mine or the next person's. It was just the luck and chance aspect of it. Or because even today we see people get famous overnight. And so it's one, one tweet and a thousand retweets of it later. This person now has a million followers on Twitter and it's, it's just like, no, I don't think what they're saying is any more important because they now have people following them digitally I think it's just 
like you're saying, luck Isn't and chance. it wild that we put, like, a number to a person? Like, the fact that numbers have to be applied to people. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. that, that, that just, like, it trips me out. Speaking of having a large following, should we jump into Mitch's uh, interview? Let's yeah. do it. Mitch, we really want to have you on to this episode of the Test Pilots, mainly because you're one of the first or even only um, real prominent members of the design community that actually will talk about mental health and its importance, especially on young designers. Mm-hmm. And there's so much, uh, I mean, just rap- trappings that comes with um, junior level designers and that notion of like the grind and really um, you got to put the hours in and all those things. And the test pilots were, we wanted to, you know, go into it and and actually get a perspective of someone who's gone through it and been on the other side of it. So could you give us your kind of your impression on, on mental health, especially of young designers? Um, I think it's the most important thing in your life. I think it, it, it affects literally every single second of every day of your entire existence. And I think that, there's, you know, I've talked a lot about like the toxic myths of design and design school, and we've all heard these things, but it's just, there's this, it's almost like the, you know, this notion of like the starving artist or the, the, the yeah. angsty artist. It's like the same thing, only it's in design. So it's the, it's the, you know, an 80 hour a week designer, or it's the, it's the only thing that matters is design designer. And it's all this bullshit, which is, I get it because I've been there and I've been in a position when I started out. Now I started out a lot older than you guys, but I was still there where it's like the only thing that matters is what typeface I'm going to choose next week. And it doesn't matter if I eat well or if I exercise, it matters whether that PMS color is going to match. And it's bullshit. I'm not saying it's not important, but I'm saying it's not the most important thing. And so as designers, I think what happens is we are, I've said this also before, I call it um, arrogant insecurity. We have got this grotesque arrogance and insecurity all wrapped up in the one really weird bubble of stuff. And so, like, we think we're the most important people in the world, but we're also going to freak out if, like, some random business uses Fiverr for a logo. <laughs> like, like we're the most important people in the world, but, oh, my God, how dare someone do that? So we have got this, like, this incredible arrogance, and we're completely insecure about our place in the world. And so you kind mm-hmm. of smush all those things together, and you get this, like, toxic garbage about doing all-nighters and about how you got to work for Pentagram or you got to work for Cool Studio X and how dare you go to, you know, <laughs> North Carolina and get a job, yeah. all right? <laughs> you know, and so there's all this bullshit that floats around with it. And I just think it's gross. It's just, it's it's grotesque. And like, I think educators all mean well, but most of them don't talk about it. I think I think most educators, they just don't realize that that as much as anybody, we perpetuate it. Because we're the ones That's, saying, oh, you know, this is a really cool job at Google. You got to go get that job at, you know, Apple or blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. I, and I respect, though, the, uh, the intention of, right. hey, you should really reach for the stars. And I agree with that. Absolutely. However, it's just like when, you know, same thing as go, picking your college. Uh, you know, everybody is getting pressured to go to an Ivy or, or some type of big school. Mm-hmm. And some people just do better in smaller schools or community college. There's a different path for everybody. Exactly. And I felt a tremendous amount like, to, yeah. It's also like, at what cost are you doing these things, you know? Because, like, I feel like um, when I when I met, like, when not met, like, when I found out about you, Mitch, it was through Twitter when the pandemic started mm. and you were probably the 
only designer like you know with some following that was talking about hey it's okay to take some time off because like every single designer every single professor was like hey you guys should be using this time yeah. to learn another language you guys should be learning <laughs> yeah. taking this time to become a master in after effects or something and i was so like stupid. you know and and when then when that's the only thing you hear you're like okay maybe this is what i should be doing and then when yeah. there's other voice that's like hey if if there's a pandemic maybe you should be taking more naps and getting some rest <laughs> yeah. and not spending 14 hours on your phone scro- scrolling and like so i was like that's that was such a refreshing take you know and 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 like i'm grateful like that there are people like you and i feel like it's become more common now yeah. you know maybe because of like the hellish year that we've been through there are more designers that are like talking about hey let's take some time off let's talk about mental health you know it's like that important part of that Absolutely. That conversation is happening. Yeah. And, and you know, this has been an insane year for everybody. And, and, you know, there are people out there who have died and have friends and family that are dying. And then there are people out there who have like essentially zero change to their life. So there's like a huge scale of difference going on. But yeah, I saw those posts and those tweets and those like you have this great chance to like learn a new programming language. And I'm like, I have no capability of thinking rationally right now at all. And so if you're going to say to me, Hey, go invent some new version of yourself and go like up your skills and be what, what is that? The 10 X designer that that's oh, thing that went around. And it's like, strategy. no, I am going to try to survive. Now let's be real. My level of survival is being perfectly comfortable in my house and with a tenure track mm-hmm. teaching job, you know, a tenure teaching job. So let's not pretend that I'm like in danger here, but like, I don't need the pressure of trying to reinvent myself or upping my game. I need the pressure of trying to just deal with what's going on. And, yep. and I think, again, it's that toxicity of just this hyper-competitive insecurity that designers te- seem to have. I don't know why designers have it. And, and it all kind of comes from there. That kind of hyper competitiveness, that's that that's the that's the real crux of it, at least what I felt in um in, in college. And I didn't realize it until um well one, I, I, I went away for a semester and then two, after I even left, I didn't realize I was like poisoning my body constantly with lack of sleep. Yep. And I, now I'm learning increasingly that like the effects of no sleep, you know? You have uh impairment similar to being drunk and you have cognitive function skills that like are severely impacted and i remember um just people i've said this one and i'll continue to say it bragging about how little you sleep is the exact (laughs) same line as bragging about how much you can drink it's the exact same thing and when i tell you that i really don't care and it's not a good look for you that's that's honestly what I mean. And I felt that so, you must see it all the time. Every single year, a new crop comes through with the design students. Is that still common in a pandemic or? Um, Oh, it is. And I think that whenever I've tweeted something about like, don't do all nighters, I get a whole bunch of people because, you know, Twitter, like giving the attitude (laughs) about how bullshit you have to do all nighters. That's how it works. And I'm like, well, do you have to do late nights? Of course. Like it all depends on where you're at, but you're going to do some late nights. If you're working for any firm that's doing anything good, you're going to spend some time. But I think there's this idea of like the heroic all-nighter. Hmm. Like, like you've accomplished something by doing an all-nighter that I find gross. Now, having said that, all-nighters can be super fun. Like you can do an all-nighter and have a blast Could with your be. friends at four in the morning. But if like mm-hmm. that's all you're doing and you're constantly putting yourself in this place 
where you're doing 80, 90, 100 hour weeks and you're not sleeping well, like I haven't seen amazing work come from an all nighter with anybody. Yeah. I've yeah. seen work come from, you know, I've seen things that exist as a result of doing an all nighter. But like I have rarely seen, oh my God, that's amazing. I'm so psyched you did that at four in the morning with no sleep. Like I've never seen that. So. 100%. You can't rush it. It's like one of those things, you know, art is like, um, even design, you know, it's art. Like you got to put in your time over yeah. time, like over weeks and stuff. And that's some of my best work is the stuff that I've put in like weeks and weeks into. Cool. And the stuff that I've stayed up for, it it always looks like, oh, he, like you did yeah. this last minute. You kind of rushed this because at some point between like 2 and 3 a.m., like your brain kind of shuts off. And you're just like on like autopilot, just like drag clicking and dragging things. Exactly. And then when you wake up the next day, you're like, oh, wait, this this sucks. You know, like I should have yeah. should have planned <laughs> this better. Happened. Yeah. And I found like three hours of sleep is enough. Like you can do OK on three, four hours of sleep. It's not something you yep. do every day. But mm-hmm. really, the all nighter, it's like you just I think it's diminishing returns. Yeah. And again, the, the glamorization of that is the thing that most bothers me. Like, I don't care if you do it. I don't understand, like, the honor part of it where it's like, yo, I did this to myself and I I got through the other side. But I remember, at least at school, I just, uh, when I was working on, especially in junior year, I remember I just, I lost a whole bunch of weight from not eating well and just, or not eating and just going and working and working and staying at the computer lab until all hours of the night with certain people and, and we'd get out of it. And it was like, really that is just no way to to live and yeah, i think that there you're missing something so i guess the real question mitch is going to be um how has getting well you see that aspect in design students mm-hmm. you also have seemingly a great work-life uh balance and could you kind of show your what is your process and how have you been able to pull at least some type of balance and, and kind of impart that on students? Boy, that's a really good question. I'm not sure. I'm, the, I'm probably the worst person to answer that. <laughs> um, I actually don't think I'm balanced at all. So 2020 was a weird year. I actually got divorced. So my, my former oh, partner and I split up, which is, you know, we're fine. Um, and then I started doing this master's degree in 2019, I guess. I don't remember. A couple of years ago, I'm doing a furniture MFA because why not do another yeah. master's degree? Um, why not? And so I think that I'm actually really bad at life, believe it or not, like despite what, how I may be presenting myself. Like, I don't know if I really have a balance, but I think that for me and where I am right now and kind of what I am doing and the, the incredible privilege that I have being like a tenured faculty member at a really good school um, and the now amount of time I have of being sort of single and kind of I can do anything and don't really have to answer anybody that I think for me taking advantage of that was the way to go. Like, like not doing nothing, which, which yeah. for some people would be like the fantasy. Like they get ten- and I think all teachers work their ass off. But like some people get tenure and it's like, cool, I can kind of calm down. A little bit, yeah. Take the foot <laughs> and the I gas think that's fine, <laughs> and I and I have no problem with that. And I think you've earned the right to calm down a little bit. I didn't want more time off. Like I'm not good at doing nothing. I'm, mm. I'm actually really bad at doing nothing. Mm. Um, and so, Mike, you know me well enough to know. Like inside the work, I'm very confident and very all over the place, and I have no problem being chaotic and messy and trying stuff and screwing up and and like all that shit. Like inside the work, I am like I'm cool with being messy and freaked out. I'm actually really bad at that in life. I'm hmm. actually super anal <laughs> retentive 
and I really like to know exactly what's going to happen six months and seven days from now. And like, I am not the kind of person who you're going to say, Hey, let's go to Paris. And I'm just going to be like, sweet, we're going to Paris. I would want to know what hotel I'm staying in. I need to know what seat on the plane I'm going to get. It's pathetic. Like it's not good. And so I think for me, I have the, the like looseness and chaos of the work to balance out the restraint and sort of specificity of the life. And so to your question, the answer is I don't think I'm good at it at all. I kind of actually want to balance it a lot better. I want to be more spontaneous and nuts in life and a little more organized and have my shit together in the work. Yeah. And so these tweets and stuff I'm doing, I've always said this. It's like it's directed at me as as much as anybody else. Like these tweets are Mm -hmm. first for me. They're not for you guys. Hopefully people get something out of it and, you know, that's added <laughs> Have bonus, a laugh, but, but... but ultimately they're about me trying to figure out what it means to just be a person, like to figure yeah. it out. And be a, I don't think I'm ever going to figure person. it out. <laughs> I don't know if there Speaking is Speaking about your out. tweets, I, I, I found something, um, I was trying to like, you know, do some research or something. Right. And I found this tweet where you were talking about going to a gym yeah. after a long time of not going to a gym. Yep. Um, one of our test pilots, Rubai, for we did a daily thing, and she like worked out every day, and she was talking about how much she appreciated that and like how it affected her mental health. You know, just working Absolutely. out, you know, thirty minutes every day or something. So, if you could talk about like how was that for you? How was that experience for you? Oh, absolutely! And, and Rubai's awesome, and I'm zero percent surprised that she killed that. Like, she, <laughs> um, yeah, I am now forty eight. So for the first. 47 years of my life, I never went to a gym, ever. Wow. That's not true. I went once and said, this sucks, and then never went again. (laughs) There you go. Um, But there's, um, Mike hasn't been around a lot, but there's a brand new YMCA that opened up up here, which is this multi-million dollar, absolutely gorgeous facility. And I'm like, you know, what the hell? Like, let's try Mm -hmm. this and really go. And so in November of 2019, I started going to the gym. So this, there's a reason why I tell you that date. So November 2019, I started going to the gym. And I am like the worst gym person. I run the tre- – I, actually, I, I aggressively walk the treadmill. And I do some sort of um, – they have a sort of a system of like weight training. And that's really all I do. And I also like the Whirlpool. The Whirlpool is awesome. Yeah. Um, and so I started going in November. And I would go four or five times a week, sometimes six nice. times a week, which is really a little more than I should be going. But I was like kind of getting into it. And then guess what happened in March? Oh, yeah. Pandemic. What happened? Wait, what closed. happened in March? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a mild <laughs> pandemic. And so the gym uh-huh. closed. So after 47 years of not doing this, in three months, I built the habit just in time for it to shut down. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that pissed me off. Like I was irritated. <laughs> um, and so I recently started going back finally. They reopened and I felt safe enough to wear a mask and mm-hmm. go back. And it is, I would have this fantasy of being some like ripped middle aged dude and it's just never going to happen. Um, but I got to tell you, I feel so much better in my head, so much better after a workout, even though I physically might be tired or achy or whatever, although usually I feel really good, you know, after I kind mm-hmm. of take a shower yeah. and kind of reset. But I got to tell you, my brain feels better. I sleep for better. Sure. I, I am less anxious. I have anxiety. I take meds for that. You know, I, I've had some real bad panic attacks in the past. Um, I've had some depression in the past and I feel a lot better working out. Yep. What I don't feel is yep. buff and ripped and super like super jacked. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Burpo over here. Like I'm not quite there yet. Um, but I'm kind of realizing, Burpo. yeah, I'm kind of realizing like I don't care. I mean, I'd like to lose some weight, but like I care more that my brain feels good. That's the effect that I think people expect like the, 
you know, the buff rip thing. But I think that the actual, you know, benefit, the actual vitamins and minerals that, have, that come out of it is actually the, uh, the, the mind thing. I definitely have less of a racing mind and less of a, you know, that kind of, you know, sickness in me than after I work out, you know, have a good one as opposed to when I don't. And I think that's one of those things I, I definitely didn't have the right balance of in, in college. And I felt like, um, I wish I could go back and like instruct my younger self be like, Hey man, you're going to make a lot better work if you just relax a little bit and just, you know, maybe instead of putting in extra hours on, on that project, maybe you go and you have just a quick run or you go and you lift a little bit and then go back and you'll be even better. But I think that's also top down too, because I think that as teachers, we forget what the reality of being a student is. The reality of being a student is you have five different classes, more or less, three of which are studios and you're doing at least three projects at the same time sometimes more. So like in professional practice, I'm not saying it's easier, but like in professional practice, you're doing projects, but you're not juggling three different creative directors, you know, three different completely different sets of people in three totally different disciplines. So like we forget how hard being a student is. Like I think we just genuinely blank on how difficult juggling all this stuff is, especially when you're 18, especially if people have never been away from home, you're sleeping next to some random person in a dorm. Like it's a weird reality. And so what I've been doing lately, especially in the pandemic is like, for example, my students in junior, my junior design system students handed in a project on Thursday. And normally I'd say, okay, time to do the next project. I said, we'll do it on Tuesday, take a weekend off. Nice. And they were like ecstatic with that. And and because like, what's the point? What's the point in burying them? It's not like it's going to make better work. The reality is in professional practice, you're going to take weekends off sometimes. I mean, maybe not all the time, but like frequently, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think it's like this notion that we're like hazing these students to like make them stronger, I think is just, That's what it feels like. Yeah. It's repulsive. Yeah. It's yeah. bullshit. Yeah. It's not true. And it's just so unnecessary. And it just irritates the shit out of me every time it comes up. Yeah. That's and, exactly and it's, it. And it's like, um, sorry, it's like one of those things um, recently I've been trying to I just have some friends who've gone through like unpaid internships, mm-hmm. like where it's one of those mutually beneficial. It's never like mutually beneficial. And then I've been talking about like how it's just unfair that, you know, students are forced to go through this. Like this is the only way. And yep. you have to be very privileged. Like you have to have a supporting family and like and then um, what I get from people is like and these are people I know and like other designers and they'll just reply back to me. They'll be like, hey, I went through this and this is how I got my job. So you guys should go through this. Or And, and if you don't want to, you're soft. You're not strong enough. You never make it as a designer. And I'm like, you're talking about graphic design. Like, are we like are we're not we talking about the military, now? man? Yeah, yeah. Like, are we like paratroopers? I don't get it. Like we're graphic. Yeah. Like we we set fonts, you know, together like. Why do we have to be treated like shit? For We're drawing like, shit, man. A, That's it. Yeah, like, oh, you have to be, like, one guy was like, for three months, I drove every single day to this office or this company or whatever, and they gave me a job. I'm like, for three months, they didn't pay you. They used you for free, and you think that was a mutually beneficial thing? Like, yeah. they probably saved thousands and thousands of dollars working Poison, you, man. and you think that's, like, worth one, like, internship, like, one entry-level job, like, it's wild like that that we 
we think this is okay as an industry, you know, and we, we, we tell 18 year olds or 19 year olds, Hey, this is what you should do to get a job. And like, they're like, okay. You know, and that's the problem yeah. because it's all self-sustaining because yep. we say, we as teachers sort of indicate that to students when they're 18, 19, 20, the students then get out of work. They do these internships. They have all these war stories about all nighters and, and, you know, not getting paid. And then when they get into positions of, you know, some authority or, or, or sort of mid-level and upper level, they tell their junior people, this is how I did it. Just like you were saying. Right. So it's like, it's mm -hmm. like this giant, like masturbation of bullshit where we yeah. just keep <laughs> yep. making ourselves think this is how it works. It just that... doesn't have to work like that. That's the best bullshit line cycle. I've ever yeah. heard. Masturbation of bullshit. <laughs> because I actually, uh, I got my first ever intern. I have her right now. Uh, this girl, Jillian. Nice. She's great. And um, actually got her from um, from uh, Salisbury <laughs> University. There okay. you go. And um, what's, very, what's very interesting is um, my company, you know, they're great. But they were like, yeah, should we get an intern? All right, are we going to pay them? I was like, 1,000%, we're going to pay them. <laughs> and... I won't even have her if, if we can't pay. And they're like, okay, that makes sense. And it's like, that's how easy it was. That's, that's what it takes is yeah. just to be like, no, we have to pay them. And then it's like, all right. And then that's the end of the story. It's, uh, so <laughs> I think that there's exactly. the reality of like business world. Like the reality yeah. is that generally speaking, the number one goal of a business is to be profitable. That's the, yeah. the, generally speaking, that is the top line item on a business. And so the way you be profitable is you either make more money and or you lower your expenses. Yeah. And one way to lower your expenses is to not pay interns or to use really shitty cheap labor or to buy stuff from, you know, X third world country versus the local stuff or whatever. Yeah. And so it's just this cycle that keeps going. My personal opinion, and again, I am just one privileged guy, is I would gladly make 2% less money a year Yeah. if it yeah. meant other people could rise up. I mean, I really would. I will yeah. pay a little bit more. I don't want to pay 90% more taxes. I'll pay a little more taxes. <laughs> exactly. I know that's my sort of liberal Bernie Sanders bullshit coming out, but you know, like it's true. Like, <laughs> I will gladly be slightly less, slightly less liquid or slightly less you know, full of cash in my bank account. If it meant a whole lot of other people can come up again, yep. one guy's opinion. I understand that everybody's privileged like that, but that's just how I look at it. I love it. Um, Mitch, maybe right before we wrap this thing up, yep. we can get one last question. Um, it seems like a lot of the listeners to DGDC as well as the test pilots are going to be people that you end up interacting with a lot and people I end up interacting with a lot, which are young designers, either in college, about to be in college, or recently graduated from college. Right. And uh, it's such an open-ended question to be like, you know, talk about work-life balance, mental health, um, anything along those lines. But is there any type of message um, and way that you can impact them or what you would say to them if they're having any question about whether or not they should be going through and kind of burning the candle extra bright and, uh, cool. you know, trying their hardest to, to really get the most out of their early years and rise up as quick as possible, um, as opposed to having some type of balance and some semblance of, of um, work-life balance? Uh, there's going to be an, uh, this is, there's an ironic answer to this, which is stop listening to people like me telling what to do, <laughs> right? Because... Advice is easy. Yeah. There are industries built on giving advice, and that includes my own absurdly large Twitter following, which I had no way to do. <laughs> um, 
But at the end of the day, what I really want students to do and young people to do and emerging designers to do and really everybody to do is like think for themselves first, not think what did X person say to me in a lecture I saw two years ago? What tweet did famous designer person X write that I need to adhere to? But like choose for yourself. And so I think it's great to sort of absorb all this stuff that's going on in the internet. And it's really cool that we can like be so side by side with these really amazing designers and these prolific people. And there's like no friction to sort of interacting with them. And that's great. And you should take it and you should read it and you should go, okay. And then you should put it aside and make your own choices. Yes. And I think that people are not yeah. good at that. And that includes me. Like I think people are very bad at making their own decisions about what is and is not like good, bad, correct, whatever word you want to use, most beneficial to them. Because yeah. some people are going to want to do 100-hour weeks and bang it and you know get plastered on Friday night with their coworkers. And some people are going to want to work 9 to 5 and then go home and be with their family. And yeah. neither one of those is correct. But to assume that only the first way is right and the second way you're, you suck is just absurd. It's just bullshit. So I that know. would be my advice is to learn to think for yourself. Yeah. What a great way to think about it. It's and that's yep. ironically, if that if that response confuses anybody listening, believe it or not, that's exactly what having Mitch in class is like. It's like, <laughs> hey, what should I be doing? And Mitch, it's he's true yep. to his tweets. I don't know. And that's then like, they look at question. you and then you <laughs> yeah. look at them and then they go and they make something and yep. there's no rules. And Mitch, I really can't thank you enough. You've had a huge impact on my life uh, already in my design career, and it's nice to get a chance to catch up with you and uh, talk about a really important yeah. topic to me. Yeah, Mike. It's always thank great you. to thank see you. So and much, Narek, thank you so much, you guys. I appreciate you having me. And uh, I love the podcast. I love what y'all are doing. I think it's great Hi. that we're like putting all the bullshit to a test. I think that's phenomenal. So I'm down with all of it. And always good to talk to you. That's great, guys. All right. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Going back to our interview with Mitch. Um, how well during the pandemic like you saw all these like hustle and grind kind of people coming up where you have to learn a new language you have to learn a yeah. new skill like if you're if you're not doing this you're not like if you ne if you don't do this now you're never going to do this you know it's one of those kind of situations and then mitch was like no one cares like take it easy take a vacation like not a vacation i mean take it like you know be safe stay home concentrate on your mental health and then um so i was like you know there was all these like even in the design world there were so many people like you should be doing this working on your process working on this Reading working on that yeah. but mitch was like his tweets were always like Refreshing. you know like uh, there's bigger literally there's a million different bigger problems in the world right now that yeah. design like it doesn't even come close to i actually um, um love one of the tweets he's been like had that was very like on, on point with what you were saying he even had like a tweet where he's like if you're going to be tweeting about this stuff i don't need this right now so don't be surprised if i unfollow you i'm doing it for my own mental health and i think it was mainly during like the election and stuff but he was like setting those boundaries yeah. and i have so much respect for him for that because that's just that that takes a lot of willpower when i talked to him about uh i, I actually spoke uh to his class um this past year and I remember it was right in the middle of the pandemic and he was like asking me all these things like, what do you, you know, what do you enjoy doing, blah, 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 explaining. And I remember I was like, you know, I don't do these paintings for any other reason except for me. The fact that I can make money off of them occasionally, it's just a bonus. But the things I'm trying to do is like, to me, it's like, uh, you got to get it out. And for however that looks for you. And I was like, and 
You know, if you if your way of doing that isn't something that makes you money, like it's no problem. The end result still needs to be the same thing. And he was like, yeah, but like you've been painting a lot. And I was like, that is just a coping mechanism. And everybody is just trying to just survive this time as best as they can and make it out in one piece. And uh, I think he's always had like a really healthy and, and honest perspective on that. Well, yeah, you touched based on how you use painting to kind of help you stay grounded throughout yeah. quarantine in our last episode too. Yeah. yeah, it's like I think everybody needs to have something, especially artists, needs to have something that is um, uh, just good for your mind. I think that the mind is just it's just a muscle. We all need to to do something to exercise it and keep it in check and healthy because a lot too often we're, um, we see it as just a utility and like, Oh, we need to be like using it all the time. I'm like, no, sometimes you need to be relaxing or stretching or, or whatever it is. And not to mention like creatives are known for being a lot more sensitive and like toned in with mm. everything that they're going through so much more than non-creatives. Like they, they really feel things a lot heavier do you guys think so we're kind of wrapping this up we got two episodes this is you know a lot of talk about our brains um as creatives for all of you y'all about how do you find that your mental health ups and downs affects your work does it affect your work or is it kind of can you separate that sort of thing like in the end we still need to show up to work and and actually punch the time in but uh, does it affect the quality for you all Personally, I, I, I like to think that when it comes to work, like work, job kind of situation, I treat it more like as a job now where I'm not um, trying to hmm. be like creatively like free and experimenting, like even though I am doing that kind of stuff. But for that, it's more like getting things done that need to be done. Uh, but when it comes to stuff for myself or stuff like, you know, freelance things, um, I've put that kind of stuff on the hold because i'm like i can't be doing that you know because because i know if i if i'm doing both of those things and i'm you know trying to live you know um it's gonna it's gonna affect my mental health like easily because i know that about myself like it's gonna i'm just gonna be tired every single day and then it's just gonna go like down so i had to make that decision you know a few months ago and be like okay let's just put all those things on hold and let's just um just work. I mean, work is work. You know, nine to five, I come home and that's it. Hmm. Like, no one is making me do anything else. Um, but I feel like once, like even now, like I'm feeling more motivated to do things. Everything is starting to, you know, get back to normal. Um, I feel like, you know, a couple, you know, weeks or a month down the line, I'll be back into it. But um, like my mental health is connected to that so easily. It's as as is my physical health and as is everything else because because if you're if you're not sleeping well, and um, I, Mitch talked about this too. And if you're not sleeping well, if you're doing all nighters, if you're doing all these things, they literally like will ruin, um, like it'll, it'll ruin your whole week. If you do one all nighter, if you stay up until four or five one day, it like it just, and then by the time it's you know Friday, you're already like you're out of it. You're um, toast. So I think personally, for me, it's it's not worth it anymore. It's not worth it for me to push myself like that. And uh, at the end of the day, I don't gain anything from that. So just, just I have to, I have to consciously make that decision for myself, for my mental health, to take a break, to take it easy, because like who cares, you know? I mean, it's just I'm posting designs on Instagram. Like the world will keep 
keep like revolving. It's we're gonna be fine. I actually love that you pointed that out. Um, because I'm a huge Adam JK fan. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him as a graphic designer, but um, I was really tough on myself at the start of quarantine and especially at the start of this year about trying to challenge my challenge for myself this year was to try and double the amount of income I made in freelance from last year. And there were times where I was feeling so like pressured to just keep going at it. And then I subscribed to one of his like mental health, like care packages that he sends out every three months. And he sent this teddy bear that said nothing matters. And that it has like a That's little awesome. heart that says nothing matters. And he's like, at the end of the day, yes, you may be going through all this tough shit, but we're all going to die anyways. So nothing <laughs> matters. And I'm like, ending up in the ground. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, honestly, like it really doesn't matter. Um, and yeah. since then I have been focusing and like really trying to focus or just like train myself to set those boundaries and tell clients like, Hey, sorry. Like if we're doing this project, it's going to take two weeks for that turnaround time for this first round. Cause one of those weeks is going to be a personal week for me to like get that creative flow and take care of myself. And then the following week, once I'm feeling okay, we'll start getting to work and just alternate. So that's how I've created my balance. But just getting that little bear did so much for me because at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. It's it's just design. Like your your job and what you do as your career isn't everything in life. Yeah, I mean, it, it affects me to a degree in the sense like when I'm stressed about external things or I'm anxious about other things, you know, whatever. I find myself not wanting to work on any freelance stuff, even like open projects that I have like people paying me. I'm like lazy about it. And my customer service kind of sucks. I'm like, oh, I'm three days behind on emails or whatever the case may be. So if you're out there and listening to this and you're wanting to hire me, this is not a good pitch for myself. But, <laughs> um, you know, like in the sense where, you know, I'm down and out or something like that. It's like, man, it, it's, it takes a lot more effort and energy for me to kind of get to my computer and, and start to work on stuff for, for someone else. And cause like, you know, I get up nine to six every day. I'm going into, you know, to work and working hard and, and you're spending a lot of energy doing that coming home and trying to do that even more when you're maybe stressed about other things. Like, man, that builds and builds on top of each other and it just get, gets harder and it doesn't, if you're at that point where it's like, is this ever going to get easy and you can't think your way out of it. And so, yeah, I think it does affect my work quite a bit. Um, but then there are times where like it doesn't at all where, you know, I can be stressed about something and I get to my computer and I just pump out crazy good stuff or crazy good time yeah. content. So it, it's, you know, it, it may be the, the mood that I'm in. It may be, I think there's a lot of different factors at play, but yeah. to answer the question, yeah, I think it, I think it ultimately affects us um, whether we know it or not. Dude's crazy. So I just heard you guys all with your answers and I actually don't, super agree with it because here's why i think that the art and the creativity is the poison and also the antidote on this and i see my creativity not as a um a thing either you have it or you don't i see it like a rolling wave so you have like ups and you have you know so you have peaks and you have troughs and 
I don't, I think being a creative person, been a creative person my entire life, I really don't think I've ever been not a creative person. It's just maybe I'm on a lower level of creativity. And the way I see it is like, I, that's why I don't agree with, I don't agree with, um, with, with artist block either. And I think that a lot of times it means that you have a bad, um, uh, your process isn't serving you in that moment. So whether that means like maybe you're making a logo, maybe you're making, making a painting, maybe when you're, when you're have artist block, a lot of times people like to just write it off and say, Oh, you know, I can't make anything today. And a lot of times I'm like, you are just not ready to make the thing you are making right now. And that's how I see it out at work. A lot of times, like if I'm not feeling excited about it or if I'm not feeling excited about my painting or whatever, then I have to work on something else. And yeah, it's like sometimes with watercolors, though, I feel like I've got the hot hand and I've got like I go in and I paint two of my best paintings of all time. And it's like amazing. And that's why I think it's like peace and troughs. And that's how I like to approach my creativity, my mental health and this X factor as opposed to um, letting it inhibit me from making something you totally summed up like an artist version of a nike ad (laughs) (laughs) just gotta go out there and just gotta do it yeah (laughs) no i think uh, again i i think it's different for everybody i uh i don't like to think of art as any of these uh mystical things because i think too often we uh, graphic designers are, are, are coming up with these like rules and this history that we have to like boil down into a freaking what what did you do Rubai you made like a, a sex company's logo oh, yeah. it's like no you know what in the end it's it's pixels on a page yeah. or it's paint on a paper like we got to go out there and we got to do it and I think that seeing it more as just like your body going through the motions and having highs and lows that are natural for everybody I think is uh, to me a slightly more comfortable way of approaching it as opposed to now nah, I've got artist block and it's like nah you know what try sketching or try going for a walk or whatever. Definitely so not. maybe we wrap it up right there after I just had my, my Nike ad. Hey Nike, if you want to sponsor me, <laughs> I'll, do I'll do it. This episode See? was brought See to you guys there? by Nike. By <laughs> Nike, no. <laughs> um what do you guys think what's uh let's plug our uh our socials and we'll get out of this thing um yeah so my name or well you can find me on instagram and twitter under the handle rubai jopper my first and last name nice steve on twitter you can find me at steven underscore overturf and on instagram overturf design studio you, nice. can, you can find me on all any app at narek mug n-a-r-e-k-m-u-g i have the same handle I love when Narek goes before me because he got the same handle and I got different handles for everything. So, uh, <laughs> mine, you can find me on uh, on Instagram, Burpsky15. I do a lot of watercolor. And then on Twitter, it's Ballpoint Pod. And you can uh, listen to me ramble about art and stuff like that. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. This was a really good one, I think. We are the test pilot. Why don't we take that idea? All the advice see if all this stuff is actually what it is. We're here to test that.